Hey, it's your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish here with another episode of Sly Flourish's Lazy DM Prep. In this weekly show, I go through steps from Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master while preparing for my Sunday D&D game. In this case, I am running the Wizards of the Coast hardcover adventure Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. This show, like all of the work of Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. You can help support shows like this by becoming a patron of Sly Flourish by going to patreon.com slash slyflourish and signing up. So I would like to, as I did in the previous episode, and I'm probably going to do at the beginning of each of these episodes, I want to offer up my top tips, my, my experiences thus far running Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, uh, and offering these to you just as my observations about things that have significantly helped me or things that I wish I would have done having run this adventure so far. The first thing I would do before you begin is make sure that while the players are building their characters, that you reinforce the character's motivation to work together to help the people of Ten Town survive the endless night. This does two things. One is it builds a cohesive group with a, with a common goal. But two is you don't want to get too excited about ending the endless night, which seems like the obvious answer. And that's because most of the quests in chapter one have nothing to do with understanding or solving the endless night. Instead, you're helping the people of Ten Towns uh, survive the endless night. So that's tip number one. Tip number two, start in Bryn Shander uh, and run the Foaming Mugs quest. So the book offers no guidance in how and where you should start. It does offer a little bit of guidance. It says you, if you don't have any other choice, if you don't want to choose, start. I think they should have been stronger about that and said, start in Bryn Shander. Bryn Shander is right in the center of the 10 towns. It's a nice big community, lots of stuff going on. And the quest that takes place in Bryn Shander is a good first level quest. So it's a good place to start. I suggest starting in Bryn Shander. Uh, two uh, or three, add the Cult of Oral to offset the sacrifices from the leaders of 10 towns. The book is written, the, the, the speakers of 10 towns are complicit in the murder of their own citizens as part of a sacrifice. This can give it a, a dark feel, and maybe that works for you. I was talking to my friend, my friend Sam Dillon, and he said that it worked for him. That's fine. It didn't work for me, and I don't think it would have worked for either of my groups because it's very easy for the adventurers to be like, why would we help town speakers who are busy murdering their own people? So... Instead, what you can do is you can create a cult of oral. You can create what I refer to as the children of oral, who's a group of people that are worshipers of oral and believe in the importance of the sacrifices and have convinced the citizens to conduct these sacrifices. But they themselves are kind of nasty bad guys. Now you have somebody that you can hate, but you can't just go kill them because they're very popular in 10 towns. It's a nice, it's a nice angle. Four, choose which quests you're going to even expose to your players in chapter one. And then expect to throw a couple of those out. Choose six of the six of the quests. There's like 13 quests in chapter one. Pick the six you like and omit the other ones. And they're good quests. So it's it's hard to decide which ones you want to get rid of. Uh, I have a list of the six that I recommend, which includes Foaming Mugs, The White Moose, A Beautiful Mine, The Mead Must Flow, The Unseen, and Toil and Trouble. You know, I think that those are those are interesting quests. The Unseen in particular ties into things later on. I have not run the lake monster quest. I, I kind of like, they're good, but we got to pick them and we have to pick them because once they complete four of these six quests, they'll be in chapter, they should be in chapter two. They should skip them. So you expose these six, maybe not all at once, but in groups of three. And then after they've picked two of the three, you throw the third one out and expose three new quests, right? That, that tends to work better. Three is the magic number. Expose three. They pick one of those, then they choose from the other two. And once they pick the second one, then you throw out the third and pick three new ones, right? And and that way you can sort of pick, you know, you, you can pick. You could almost do them in tiers, like, like you know, I don't know. I wonder, I wonder how these would break up if you did them in two sets of tiers, if you did the ones I recommend. And it's a shame because you're going to be throwing away a bunch of other quests. 
And then my, my most recent one, my fifth tip is really in chapter two. And that's where I'm at now in the prep. And that is choose the locations you like in chapter two and tie them together with quests, hooks, keys, and rewards with quests, hooks, keys, and rewards to the following major locations, Sunblight Fortress, Grimskull, and Yethra. So that way, that way, because there's no ties to these locations, there's no reason, you know, Let's see, tie, and, and let's see, I'm, I'm changing my own words here. Uh, tie them together with quests, hooks, keys, and rewards to other locations and the main locations of, so really you're given like, I don't know how many, let's say 12. You're given like 12 locations with no ties to anything. And you have to draw the lines about why one location would take them to another location or why that location takes them to the final location. There are a couple in there that do. Uh, the example is if you go to An An Anajuk's Bell, Anajuk's, I don't know how to pronounce it. Anajuk's Bell is what gets you to Grimskull, right? So there is one location that takes you to another location. But those are kind of rare, right? The 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 lost spire of the the lost Netheril spire can tie to Yethrin, but not really, right? We have to draw those connections in. My friend Sam thinks that 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 is a feature, not a bug. I think it is a bug. I think they could have at least told us that we need to do that. And instead, I am offering this suggestion here. So those are my suggestions for currently, and I haven't even gotten into the next sets of chapters yet. So this, this list is going to expand. I expect I'll probably have 10 such suggestions for running Frostmaiden, which I think turn it into a workable adventure. But my group is currently in uh, the Black Cabin. So let's take a look at last session's notes. By the way, I'm using Notion to do all of my campaign planning here. If you want to learn more about Notion, you can do so by, you can, oh, somebody already did it. <laughs> You can learn by looking at the link in Twitch there, uh, or you can see in my show notes below, there's a link to videos and a link to articles where I talk about using Notion. Notion is really outstanding for this stuff. So let's see, last August 8th. So they dreamt of a war machine. They dreamt of the sarcophagus of Thrun. They had these weird dreams that sort of foreshadowed a lot of stuff that I want to do. Great way to sort of connect things together. Foreshadowing, right? And, and boy, I love like dreams and portents, right? Because you can do them at any time. There's no reason for it. Pick your arcane or divine or anybody that's got like happens to have a mind flayer symbiote in their head or any of them that happens to be a child of an elder evil. And you throw things in there, right? And uh, you throw in portents. It's a great way of doing secrets and clues. A great way of administering secrets and clues is dreams and portents. I really like it. So they had their dreams. Then they traveled to the black cabin. I think on the way they fought uh, a bunch of vampire kobolds. And we'll talk about that. And then, yeah, marble foggy pillar of the Netherese. They were attacked by vampire kobolds. That all worked. And it was pretty interesting. Then they got to the black cabin and they spent a good deal of time exploring the black cabin. I have had a trouble. I've now run the Black Cabin for two groups. I've run it for my home group and I've run it for my, my, my I call my home group. They're both remote groups. So my Wednesday group and my Sunday group. And I've had trouble running it both times. So I'm going to talk about some of the troubles that I had running this thing. Most of it has to do with like, how the hell does that summer star work? And and when is when when does it kill people? Should it kill people? You know, all this stuff. I had a lot of trouble with it. And I, you know, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for it. I know that not everybody has trouble with it, but I certainly did. So let's look at our secrets and clues from last week and see which ones were exposed. There was tremendous power inside the buried city of Yethrin. They learned that. Oral spell eventually frees 10 towns. They did learn that. Zardark Sunblade is building a tremendous war machine. I think they learned that. Secret Society and Caradin have all known the Knights of Black Sword. I don't think they've learned that. Knights of the Black Sword go back a thousand years to a secluded sect of Elven Knights. I don't think they learned that. Summerstar is an artifact Macratus found near the Lost Spire. They did not know that. Can transfer people in and out of the border ethereal? They don't know that. They're learning that today. Summerstar's charge only works once per day. No, they didn't learn that. Caves of hunger lead to the lost city of Yathrim, but are frozen shut. I don't think they know that. 
Summer Stars Cable Melting. No. So a lot of these they have not figured out yet. It means I can I could steal these and, and, and use them. But I'm not going to just copy and paste them. I will actually like think about our think about our things. Fantastic locations and all that. So yeah, so that's what happened. So so they they went to the black cabin, they explored it very thoroughly, peeked into windows, were very careful about what they did. They went in, the floor did collapse underneath one of the characters. Unfortunately, also fell out from beneath the feet of the character, least likely to survive the fall. And who also ended up picking up the summer star and getting disintegrated. So it would have killed him twice. Um, and I chickened out and it didn't have him just fall. I had other people roll checks to see if they could grab him before he fell. And he was hanging from, a, I think if they'd fallen, I think it's like, if you're going to do something like you fall and take 14 D6 damage, a couple of, couple of checks, like one check to not see the fact that the floor is going to collapse. Another check to, for the fall and maybe another check for somebody not to grab him. Like give him, give him at least a couple of tries before they fall to their death. So anyway, they, they explored the area. They got a lot of notes. They figured out a lot of what was going on with this thing. And then everybody got out of the room and Shadow Shadowhawk picked up the device. There was a flash of light. They came in and Shadowhawk's skeleton is on the ground. So that was where we ended the adventure was Shadowhawk's disintegration. Now, I, I think I, I did... I already had Shadowhawk seeing the other players or other characters standing around and saw Macratus. So there is a, you know, there is a, uh, there is a hint that he wasn't already disintegrated. So let us get our notes, start our notes for this session. And here we go. Unfortunately, the, the player whose character died has died like five times in my games. He's, he's not, he's a little bit reckless. It's not his fault. He's a little bit reckless and doesn't grasp all the time what exactly is happening in game and gets himself in situations. And it's never worked out badly for him. And every one of them has been a story, but boy, he's died way more than anybody else in that group. 15. And that's where you really want to get like, people aren't understanding about half of what you're saying. So if you're going to kill them with one shot, you want to give them at least a chance to understand what they were doing, especially if they did something that they shouldn't do. Now picking up the stone, like he knew what he was doing. 15 August, 2021, uh, the characters. So let's take a look at the characters. We have six characters. Uh, I think I know at least one of them is out, but I think the other ones are going to be. We have Ilda. Ilda is a half Goliath, half elf, potential child of the elder evil Thrun. Not so sure. It may just be a normal, normal woman. And she, her family, her father is a member of the Knights of the Black Swords. Her mother and father were both people that were involved in the cult of Oral in Bryn Shander. And she's trying to figure all that out. She's worried that she has some connection to 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 Thrun. Not again, flower pot. Shadowhawk is a half mind flayer, or has a he's got mind flayer sensibilities, mind flayer symbiote in his head, being hunted by assassins of the Knight's Kiss. Maybe it might be time to drop those assassins in. We might we might throw in a complication and have the assassins show up and see how that see how that goes. I've got. It might be a plan. Auken Dawncaller is a Goliath who has seen uh, seen things under the ice, you know, seen weird things underneath the ice and is worried about it. Probably the half-brother of Ilda. Gore Wan Alcazar is a member of the Wan Alcazar. He's the runner of the Wan Alcazar trading company, which is really a Ponzi scheme and a multi-level marketing scheme where he sells his healing services. He is a trickster god and a secret heir to the... I guess he is the child, I found out. Uh, he is the child of the characters from another campaign that we ran, which is pretty funny. Perrin Fat Rabbit is a halfling, was kidnapped by Mind Flayers, but escaped and believes everything is a conspiracy. Gets a little weirded out. 
And then Candle in the Dark is a Tabaxi Rogue, but Candle's player is not going to be there today. So Candle will not be there. So we should have five players today. Ilda, Shadowhawk, Auken, Gore, and Perrin. So I think, you know, there are definitely secrets that we could tie together to the characters today. It'd be good to kind of, I don't know, bring Perrin. So Perrin has ways. There's a lot of interesting things. There's a lot of interesting ways that we could sort of tie things together. We're going to open up a new tab and keep get our notes in the new tab. So what is the start? The strong start is the skeleton, the charred skeleton of Shadowhawk, right? Macradius yells, no, not that way, but it's too late. So I think we're going to start straight in with the fact that one of the characters got disintegrated. We don't need a strong start after that. We might have, oh, a flashback, flash back the light of the summer star tracks oral and the cold light walkers so they might know that something is coming right that will be cool so scene wise we have uh shadow in the border ethereal Teleman three 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 says, "How do you handle absences? Bubble or run the PC? We do not run the PC. We do not run the PC. I don't know what bubble means. They just fade away. They just fade out, right? Like we don't let real life stuff affect in-game stuff. So if somebody cannot make it, their character just fades back. If there's an opportunity for the story to kind of get into that, like you could just say candle kind of disappears or a candle goes stealthy and disappears into the night. We had one where Ilda saw her own." visage in an ancient tome and she ran off into the mountains to figure out what was going on right so but and and if but if it doesn't if there isn't a good story way to do it then they just fade off and then they fade back in when they come back right it's just it's easiest to handle that way i think most dms handle that way yeah but you just right right, we just fade fade back shadow on the border ethereal fixing the summer star the coming of the cold light walkers and then what? So then when they have, once they have done, then it's like, do they return to East Haven? Where do they want to return for the next, next quests? And those quests are, what quests are available to them next? So this is my like, think two horizons out, right? I think that I don't, I, I don't promote the idea of building out huge campaigns or getting too far ahead of yourselves are ahead of ourselves when we're developing a campaign. But instead you wanna know, I, I, I wanna know just a little bit more than the players are exposed to. So I don't need to know, I need to know enough to know what options should be available to them for the session after this one. And that means I need to know what options they could potentially face in the next one. And ideally get them to pick one of those so that I know what to prep next session, right? And 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 this is where that like the two horizons out. Like we've I've got like three scenes, and that's probably gonna take most of the session to do all this stuff, right? But then they return to ten towns. We maybe want to have a random encounter along the way. I'm not sure. It should probably be a non-combat encounter. Random non-combat encounter. And then the quests that are in front of them that I really want to reinforce are Recon, Sunblight, Fortress is one of them. Another one is explore the lost spire. That's the, the, the Netherese lost spire. I don't think, are we ready? So they, they could interrogate, what's his name? Gant, Valish Gant at Revel's End. That one's not necessary. And I don't wanna, God knows I don't wanna make this 
adventure longer. But that's an option that they have available to them. Where else? So then there's there's two big forks for two big areas. One is find the Caves of Hunger and Honoruk's Bell, right? But before they do Honoruk's Bell and before they do the Caves of Hunger, they should probably do Zardarok, the Zardarok stuff. And they should probably do the Zardarok stuff and they should probably do the, and, and, and the, the uh, Shardalon dragon should occur. Right. And then, and then the next step is the next two big forks. So I don't think, so Valish Gant is a third, but if I were going to do, if we, 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 I just complained in my last show about flow charts, I should probably draw a flow chart, right? It's too bad. I don't have a good way to draw a flow chart. And I think in my flow chart, it would be, you know, we have like these three quests here, but really the Sunlight Fortress is the main quest. And, and then at that point, once that's done, then it forks back out again to go to the other locations. So I'm trying to, let's take just a quick look at the, we'll go with the other, the other one here. What are the other chapter two things? So, um, Andrew Cook's bell, I have no idea how to pronounce that. Andrew Cook's bell leads them to, uh, Grimskull. Black Cabin they're doing now. Cackling Chasm they've done. Cave of the Berserkers we don't really care about. Uh, Dark Duchess. Dark Duchess leads to An Anadrix Bell. So that's really the next step for that quest. It Ascended is done. Yarrowmoot, they really don't need to do Yarrowmoot. So I don't think we're going to do that. The Goblin Place we're not going to do. Ne Lost Spire Nethries they could do. It's actually not necessary. And I, I wonder if I should pull that one. I mean, it's kind of fun. So I don't know. Might keep that one around. Uh, Regged Tribe Camp, don't need. Revel's End, you know, maybe. Sky Tower Shelter, nah. Worm Dune Crag, maybe, because it has to do, one of the players has a good connection there. And that's pretty much it. So I don't, yeah, I don't feel like I need more quests than this. Oh, but there, there are some character-driven quests in here. So I did forget the character-driven quests. So they could be visit, visit Worm Dune Crag, could be one. They could do that instead of Valish Gant. They could meet with like, you know, meet with like a witch doctor or something at Wormdoom Crag who might be able to tell them about the Codicil of the White. That could be, that That could happen. Visit Eamon, Eamon Melissiant at the Citadel of the Black Sword in Care Dineval. So those are, those are options as well. It's sort of side quest sort of things. So I think that that kind of, yeah, I think that that sort of lays everything out as far as scenes are concerned. So we'll jump straight to our secrets and clues. So what secrets do we have? The summer star can radiate a blast of near pure sunlight. It can melt through dozens of feet of ice at once. The summer star can transfer people in and out of the border ethereal. The summer star needs a control ring that it's currently missing. What else? Oral fears the summer star. The summer star is built from net technology. Macradius, I think I have a Macradius, has found it near some icy caves from frozen over caves icy caves frozen over at the base of the regged glacier 
that gets them to the Caves of Hunger. What else did it? Oh, let's see. Oral created the Endless Night from a powerful spell contained in ancient scrolls called the Ancient Bound Scrolls, called the Codicil of the White. The Codicil, I guess, is another secret. Whoops. The Codicil is held in an ancient temple of Oral, ancient frost giant temple of Oral, temple of Oral called Grimskull, lost on an icy island in the middle of the Sea of Moving Ice. So we've got that one there. Any other so secrets tied to these scenes that we need? Not particularly. Those are the kind of the big ones. Character secrets. We have the stuff about Thrun, right? The, the Knights of the Black Sword were once elves who guarded the sarcophagus of Thrun. They split into three groups. One group died defending the sarcophagus from the Netherese. One group left in shame. One group allied with the Netherese and served uh, aboard Yethrin as guardians in Yethrin. Eamon is, what is it? What's the, not an ancestor. Eamon's ancestors served the Netherese. His great Father Limac. Father Limac is a one of the original knights of the black, one of the original knights of the black sword who served at Yethrin. That's cool. So let's see. I got lots of secrets. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Funny how it's nine. Is there any other what other secret do I wanna do I wanna drop in here? Any character related secret? Something with Oh, how about the Summer Star? Let's do another Summer Star one, right? The Summer Star channels the energy of Thrun as connected is connected to the Mithalar in Yethrin. It is like a antenna. So that's a good one. So I got a bunch of secrets. That that works out. Fantastic locations. So of course we have the Black Cabin. Why don't we link that just for funsies? So back Kevin, and then we'll probably have a monument on their return. Glowing marble battlefield of the Illithids. What is that? It'd be kind of interesting if the Illithids were out there. Uh, obsidian marble fossil of the tribe of the tiger. Thunderous ornate ship of the Netherese. That that's pretty wild. Shattering ornate carved rock of Baal. Ivy colored ivy colored charnel pit. Ornate ivy colored ivy covered battlefield of Oral. Marble carved rock of the tribe of the wolf. I think we're going to do this guy here, but it won't be the tribe of the wolf. It'll be of the worm dune Goliath. And that will connect them. That way they can meet family members of, or, or, or clan, clan members from, from Ilda and Auken. So NPC. So we have Macratus, worm doom, worm doom. Is that right? That would make sense. Worm Doom. Worm Dune. It doesn't make sense. And let's have a, let's pick a Goliath. We'll make a Goliath here. Do Goliaths have any kind of interesting name 
situations. Alun Dragon Knee. We could do Alun Dragon Bone. One of them is named Keith David, oddly enough. Yeah. Alun Dragon Bone. Tribes and of the Worm Doom Goliath. Let's make it a make a woman. Elaine. Elaine Dragonbone, tribeswoman of the Wormdune Goliaths, leading a hunting party following the lights of the, what are they called? The Cold Light Walkers. So that's pretty good. Any other NPCs? We, of course, have our regular NPCs. I probably don't need to list them here. I can't hurt, though. So, oh, yeah, another secret. The characters have a few ways to see into the border ethereal. They have, what's his name? Oh, where is he? There he is, Janth Alawar. We could put him in the NPCs. Janth Alawar can see, probably Ilda can see the connection to Thrun and Perrin's bow lets him see their spirits because his bow can see into the ethereal plane a little bit. So there's lots of ways for them to kind of get connected and figure out what they need to do. Uh, and then we have Captain Imdra. And I think this group, I'm trying to remember who their patron is. Is it Hlin? I think it's Hlin Trollbane is their patron, but I forget. I think the other group picked, uh, what's her name? The one that's chasing the butterflies. Monsters, the big ones are the Cold Light Walkers, right? So let's take a look at Cold Light Walkers for a minute because they're, they're special. We need to be paying attention to them. And in particular, we want to tie Cold Light Walkers to people that the characters have killed. So we could have one for, we could have a Ravison run, right? We could have a, who, what other, what other kind of like important NPC? Everyone wants Thumper. I, I guess we're going to have to do Thumper. And probably the assassin that they just killed a few sessions back would be a good one. That was Ebenhart, right? Except Ebenhart really didn't have a connection to, we could instead do, well, what's his name? Sephic. Because Sephic definitely had a connection too. So I'll probably do that instead of Shakar Balar. Everybody wants Thumper. So let's take a look at Cold Light Walkers for a second. So Cold Light Walkers are CR5, 82 hit points, 13, immune to blind charm, exhaustion. They are undead. They cannot be paralyzed, petrified, or poisoned. Uh, blinding light. Walker sheds light in a 20-foot radius of dim light for an additional 20 feet. As a bonus action, Walker can target one creature in its bright light that it can see it and force it to succeed. DC 14 can be blinded. Okay, that's a bonus action. Any creature killed by the walker freezes for nine days. Yeah, uh, doesn't need to do your sleep. Two attacks. It can either do a 25-point slam attack or a 25-point cold ray. Wow. So that, that is badass, right? That is pretty cool. This monster is exclusive to Rhyme of the Frostman. Yeah. It's very specifically creatures that have been brought back by Oral, right? God spawned horrors. I guess they give them there, but it's definitely leaves behind an inanimate corpse that can never be raised from the dead. How fast does it take? Any creature killed for nine days during which time it can't be thawed, harmed by fire, and animated or raised from the dead if a creature is killed by it. That plus three ranged attack is lame. That's so low. But if it can do it against a blinded creature, it could have advantage on it, but still that's so low. The slam attacks are vicious though. 25 point slam attack. Range is 60 feet. 
So I think they're going to get attacked. So what is the deadly threshold, right? So in my mind, they should get attacked by three. They have five fifth level characters, so that's 25. So 12 is the threshold. But I'm going to be throwing three of these guys at them. So it'll be slightly above deadly, but that's okay. Four would be right out. So I think that that's pretty good. That'll be kind of a fun, a fun battle. These three, three cold light walkers coming to the cabin outside. Treasure. Well, the, so they got, let's see, the amulet of health is in that cabin. And the, the other thing is the, 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 the summer star. So what can the summer star do once it's controlled? What's a good, it'd be nice to have like a one daily ability, right? What are the sunlight spells? Spells. So sunburst. Ooh, eighth level. That's crazy. Sunbeam is a good one. Sunbeam once a day is probably too much. It could do it like once a week. Yeah. It'd be nice to give it like a spell it could do regularly though. So what if it can do daily guiding bolt, uh, weekly sunbeam, once sunburst, right? Let's see, 60 foot range, 150 feet away, 60 foot radius. Each creature in the light must make con save fail. It takes 12d6 radiant and is blinded for one minute. A successful save has as much damage. Blind by a spell makes an, another constitution save at the end of each turn. Okay, so it's really not that crazy, right? Like it's an eighth level spell, which is really powerful, but 60 foot radius is huge. But I think it could do once and like if it uses that, it loses its power, right? Like that's the last thing it can do. Dawn. Yeah, dawn actually creates sunlight, which is worse, sunburst or dawn, or sunbeam, I mean. Sunbeam kind of makes more sense. What if we could do either of those, sunbeam or dawn? That kind of works. But it's also like, you know, story-based, right? So they can kind of ask me, has it recharged? And I'll say yes or no, because there's certain times when it, when it, when it can. And it can use this charge as what we can burn a hole through the, the ice that's protecting the Caves of Hunger and get them into the Caves of Hunger. So, so that kind of works. Let's see, I need this group. And that all works. So I've got my notes already. Is there anything else that I need today? You know, I've gone through all the steps, right? I know where they're going. I've got my scenes about what's happening. Yeah, so I didn't talk about like the tricky bit that I had, which is like, when does the summer star activate and how much of a warning do you give your players? It's such a gotcha. And I don't think gotchas work well in D&D, right? People just feel screwed, especially if they're experienced players who know more about the gotchas. So the whole idea of like, well, whoever picks it up, it has to like, you know, like it starts to radiate if they don't immediately drop it. Well, what does that mean? Like, well, how do you warn them about stuff like that, right? How much of a warning do you give them? It's, it's awkward and weird to try to figure out, like, you, you, you want to give them a chance, right? And this, this, I think, is kind of a difference between sort of the antagonist DM and the, and the non-antagonist DM. Are you a servant DM or are you a opponent, right? An opponent is like, well, if you do dumb things, dumb things happen to you. A servant DM is trying to make sure to, that the players have all the information that they need to be able to act smartly, you know, but in this case, like, are you, are you holding it back or not? Right. It's not a choice of whether or not they want to hang on to the thing. Right. So it's, it's, a, it's kind of, it's kind of awkward. Yeah. Tomb of Horrors disagrees. Right. And there's a reason why a lot of people consider Tomb of Horrors, A, one of the most popular adventures and B, also a terrible adventure. And that's because it's, a, it's full of, it's full of gotchas. Right. 
you want people to make informed choices and you want them to do things that like what that would make sense for what their character is experiencing and what their character knows. And that's that's where stuff like this gets tricky. So I had trouble running it both times. Both times I had players that got disintegrated. Both times the players were good sports about it and it wasn't a real problem. And it also is kind of, I don't know how to explain it, but it's kind of lame that you have a gotcha like this that does disintegrate a player, but then they just come back again at the end. And it's like, why? Why does the summer star help people come back? Right? Like that is kind of lame. So I don't know. I don't like it. <laughs> I think in the end, I, there's parts of the black cabin I like, but the idea that it like disintegrates players only to then immediately give them a way to bring them back. It's both like you're screwing them and you're deus ex machina. You know, you're bringing a deus ex machina at the same time. And that just feels kind of lame. So I, I don't know. It might, you know, maybe a, a way to deal with this is that it explodes with a sunburst, right? And they take the sunburst, but it doesn't necessarily have to disintegrate them or anything like that. I don't know. It's just the whole... The whole, like, why why does this thing send people to the ethereal plane instead of just disintegrating them? And, and, and how is it able to bring them back? Why is it able to bring them back? What sense does that make, right? I don't, I don't know that it works. So, yeah, it feels pointless. Yeah, I kind of agree, right? Like, I, I have an actual way to tie it to the rest of it, which is it's a key to getting into the Caves of Hunger, Right. So I have a reason it can kind of, it knows it using it. You can figure out where Yethrin is and you can, it can draw you to the caves of hunger. And also it can burn a hole through the ice that you can get into the caves of hunger. But, but the, the, the thing on its own, like I've heard a lot of groups who are like, as soon as they see one of their characters d disintegrate, their next move is let's get the, let's get out of here. Like why, why stay? So that's real trouble. So I don't know. I'm not, I'm not crazy. You know, it's an interesting place and a lot of people like it, but I find it weird to run and I don't know how to run it. Mostly because like I'm trying to work hard to give everybody the same information, useful information. And, and it's like, but you're also trying to get people to pick it up and get disintegrated. So I don't know. There's a lot of, I think it's got issues. I don't know. I don't know how, if you, if you don't have a player that gets disintegrated, how do you ever meet Macratus, right? Do you ever meet Macratus? I don't know. Weird. It's a weird one and I don't have a good recommendation for it. I don't think maybe next week I'll talk about my recommendation specifically for the black cabin and, and how to do it, how I would do it again after running it twice. So beyond that, I think I've got everything that I need. I've got lots of secrets. I've got my scenes. I've got a strong start. We've got a big battle that's going to occur. We've got, you know, meeting the, you know, meeting the, the tribe folk who can bring them back. And maybe they know some of the secrets about, they know some of the secrets, the other secrets that are going on. It could be lots of neat things. So, so I think we've got a lot going on here. And I think with that, we will call our show over for the day. So I want to thank everybody for coming and hanging out with me while I prep my D&D game. It is always a great pleasure to chat with you all while I'm doing this. If you want to help me out, you can help me out in four different ways. One, you can subscribe to my channel on YouTube. Two, you can subscribe to the Sly Flourish newsletter. Three, you can support me directly on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash slyflourish. Or four, you can pick up any of my books, including Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master and the Lazy DMs Workbook. So thank you all very much and have a great day.